Welcome back to the BDSM show where we're talking about all things budgeting, debt, savings and money management. Uh, after a week off, the vocal cords have sort of dried up a little bit, so we'll do our best to sound a little bit like honey. Uh, speaking of which, if you want to learn a little bit more about finance, head on over to b.com.au to see what all the buzz is about that we've been talking about. But today we've got something uh, also in the internet domain. My name is Ivan. Welcome back to another episode. Just uh, as always, all advice today is general only. Today, we're focusing on the M in the BDSM, which is the money part. Uh, today, uh, we're joined by Bianca Hachi Hazelman from Finance. And I still feel like I should be pronouncing it the German way. Hey, but you, that's got okay. it. you got it. You got it. I got it. I got it. It's awesome. Um, uh, so you're from Finance, uh, and you're going to talk about the economic well-being of women. Welcome to the show, Bianca. Thanks Thank for thanks for coming on. Um, Thank you uh, you're, you're by the way the first female to to come and join us. So uh, <laughs> so so it, it, it's good that uh, that we're breaking things up, and we'll definitely be talking about that. So you're the CEO of uh, and founder of Financy, and you run a, a passion movement uh, dedicated to educating and empowering women in all aspects of their financial journey. Uh, you've had an amazing career across uh, journalism. You worked at uh, AFR. Uh, you worked at media companies. So how how did how did Financy come about? Financy came about because I, I was at the Fin Review at the time and uh, pregnant with my first daughter. Didn't know it was a girl, um, and I just found myself having already always covered investments, markets, economics, and personal finance. Just a genuine love for covering personal finance. Um, that there was increasing appetite. Maybe it was among the circle I was in, but it was certainly for me, um, in wanting to know more about financial inequalities. And, and suddenly I think I became more aware of it myself because of having children and things like that. And I felt like it was a topic I really wanted to cover more than, than we were perhaps covering. And um, and it just influenced my decision to start the blog site that is Financy Today and just talk about it all the time to feed my addiction. And that's not to say that other media companies, um, um, they're, they're doing it increasingly more now and it's fantastic, but it just wasn't happening back then and that's what prompted me to make the decision. There's still not that much, though, in that space. I think that, you know, that there's obviously there's a couple of movements that are specifically catered towards women. Uh, the stats are showing that, that you know, there's, there's, um, there's much more women um, that are making financial decisions, whether that be... Um, uh, you know, sort of the ASX service, but also, you know, like the, uh, we, we, we pick the CFO of the house. Like it's, it's common for the female to run all of the financials within the house. And yet there's been nothing catered for women for such a long time. Um, you stand in a very unique spot in that sense. How, how do you, um, I, I guess, why, why is there this, this movement? Um, and what do you hope to, to generally achieve, um, by empowering women? Uh, specifically, and I guess specifically targeting women with, 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 with your content? I think there's a genuine appetite now more than ever before to uh, among women to take more control of their financial situation, utilise um, different investment platforms that might be out there or just um, become more socially aware about the inequities that are there and that they can actually do more about it. Now, I don't want to tell people to suck eggs because these issues have always been there. And in many ways, you don't become aware of them until big events shine lights on things. So mm. I, I attribute events like your Time's Up movement, your your things like that, that really kind of big social 
changes in momentum that kick-started things and the UN has been quite um, proactive on its um, focus on economic empowerment of women. So I think there's been this appetite and also in US markets we're seeing more um, fund managers um, focus on how to engage with female clients, what kind of product offerings, what kind of values-based investments could women be interested in because we know they're more likely to invest that way. And it's also given rise to having happening along the same time as this push towards more women in leadership, key decision-making um, spots, places on boards, and then a call upon companies to do more to reflect um, their investor base, particularly in the superannuation space. So there's been this a whole cog of wheels turning um, that is feeding into an increased appetite and momentum for women to engage with finance and for financial institutions and um, and people in that space to engage with women as well. The, the big question is how do you do that? How do you do it effectively? And I suppose mm. what I've learned from from being a journalist in the women's money space for um, a long time now, nearly 10 years, is that women want tend to want more, that there's a push towards more AI bespoke solutions, solutions that actually talk to me in my individual situation that can help me close the superannuation gap, that make me aware of what's happening in, in pay and, you know, even if it's not affecting me, how can I advance my pay position, how can I invest for myself? How can I put myself first without feeling like I'm abandoning everything else? How can I almost have more without um, feeling guilty about it at the same uh, at the same time? Because you're, you're, you're nurturing a generation right now. Many girls are growing up not thinking of having children first. They're thinking of the mm. career. The times are changing and they've, they've probably changed um, more radically for the Gen X, I think, growing up and thinking, well, I'm having this career first, and we've certainly seen that in the birth rates. Um, so the mindset has shifted, and you're, you're, you're talking to clients that are thinking career first and, and in that vein, money first before, before family in many ways. And then when they do have family, it's the conversation becomes, well, how do I make it work? Because it almost becomes not natural to think, oh, I have to leave the workforce now? It's over? It doesn't quite make sense all of a sudden. Yeah. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know exactly what you're so talking I've, about. From, from I've my digressed own. quite a little bit there with my insights. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think it's interesting. I think it, it, it generally, you know, I mean, the one thing that I think is is, is, is super interesting, and 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 I hope that the one thing that I get out of this is, is get an answer to this. But you know, I saw recently that the financial literacy tests still show that although generally um, we have, as a country perform pretty poorly on those basic five, I think it's helmet tests. Um, females perform more poorly than, than males. Why is there, well, everyone's got access to the same information, why is there um, a gap in financial literacy across everyone, um, you know, on basic questions like inflation, and why why do females underperform, do you think, um, on, yeah. on those areas? It was very interesting, those that survey, because you can cut the data a number of ways. When you look at, I think there was five, five key questions if I'm looking yeah. at the same data set as you and, yeah. and overwhelmingly um, we had men getting a higher financial literacy score there and inflation seemed to be the, the, the thing that tripped people up, tripped more women up. But when you look at the four out of five, women actually outperformed men on the four out of five result. So I thought, thought that was really interesting. It's not that women are don't know 
they're not engaged with the financials. It's perhaps the mm. level of the decision making that we have traditionally been doing has been less likely to be about investment decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been more around the home, and this is a traditional kind of way that the things have happened for women. And we know by looking at school education, girls tend to start out a lot brighter in the early years in primary school, then something kind of happens and boys catch up too and then we're all kind of going along the same peg and then um, perhaps boys have always seen more of a pathway for using mathematics in those male, traditionally male um, employment areas. And that's a stereotype we need to break and correct and there's a lot of work being done in that space. So I put that down to it's happening in the school system, it's happening um, early mm. on and it's it's about making mathematics and finance something that we can, that more women can see as being very personal and relatable um, and important to a career and to your life um, and not just something that is for the men to um, to do. I think there is a real change happening there. It's a change that has some way to go to catch up to equalise the statistic that you're talking about. Mm. It's interesting. I um, only read the, uh, the the article that I read when they had the high level numbers and um, and the inflation argument, the inflation question wasn't fairly asked anyway. It was even I sort of sat there and kind of stopped there for a second, going, "Hang on a second. Um, you know, I actually I, I looked up last night in inspection of, of this chat. I, I looked up my um, my org chart uh, to see. You know, we're sort of we're we're a, we're a bread and butter financial services company typically male-dominated, we are unequal. We actually employ, uh, uh, from what I counted, 10 more females than, than males um, across um, so the 55-odd staff that we've got, which, which is quite quite a sizable thing. Um, that's not typical for our for financial services at all, and we've seen that as a breath of fresh air. Why, why is there that kind of that, the stigma that you, that you were alluding to before? Why are financial services typically employing men why why isn't there more females clearly you know there's nothing uh you know like i I know in my household my my wife is much smarter than i am that's not a high benchmark but um why 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 is why is the financial services industry hasn't been able to move on yeah it's um it's interesting because when you look at the landscape of financial services there are slightly more women employed overall than there are men it's it's where women are employed. So it's in those um, those line management roles, those senior executive roles that have less representation of women. And these are key decision-making roles. We know when we look at surveys that if you're a man, there's this bias to hire men over women. There's a lot of surveys that tend to reflect that. Um, it's quite interesting. So it's, and there's always been this perception that's gone along with it for many, many years. Wall Street, all these different things that that working in in finance is this tough, hard yakka. You're there from, you know, if you're not at the gym at five and then starting work at six and you're not finishing till 10, then you're not really putting in the, the yards. It's not really seen to be all that flexible if you want to have a family. So women would like, um, what what I think would help the industry more, and there are a lot of um, organisations that are gradually doing more, is having workplaces that actually um, provide that flexibility or that seek to break those stereotypes as well, and not just for women, but actually have them for men as well, um, that, that flexible and encourage those for men to take that flexible 
type of work attitude as well or arrangement. Um, we, we, we do try. Uh, I'd be interested to know what your, um, your structure's like, if you have more women across the organisation or if it's or if it's more lower management roles or, you know, what that what that's like because it tends to be around those child, that average child-rearing ages that we do see that decline because women are looking for roles that yeah. allow them to, to try and do all these other things because they think by default it has to be them that takes on that, that role. Sorry, just uh, hopefully didn't hear too much of my dog in the background. Uh, little little Duxy hates it. Um, actually, most of our line managers are, uh, are women. Um, so, and it, we haven't really done that by design. It just kind of mm. happened um, uh, because, you know, we, we obviously we, we, we sort of we look at people based on uh, what they can bring generally to, mm. to the table and um, cultures, cultures are really important to us um, yeah. and you don't really get to see a lot of that through the CV, right, um, as opposed mm. to with what the person's like. But anyway, a couple of questions for you. Um, Jill goes, do men just naturally share with other men their financial decisions with a competitive edge and women are more conservative within their circles, uh, are we scared of looking greedy or boastful? Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of that too. I, I don't think even, uh, you know, you tend to have these different sets of friends throughout your life. You tend to have these school friends that, will, that some might travel with you through your life and some you pick up as you go along and then you have these career friends. So who do you talk most to about money? And I, I seem to hear, even now, my husband has a lot of friends in the finance space. They talk a lot about money in general. Uh, barbecue conversation is a lot about the finance, the investments, and things like that. I don't think women have been particularly um, as active as having those conversations, as open as having those conversations about money. And when we've had them, we've tended to have them a lot about um, uh, what our household earns, what our husband might, what we have. It's almost... Um, a, a couple view rather than a, a singular view or we might put ourselves down or I don't know much, I don't know as much as him, is that kind of thing. So we don't um, have those conversations as actively as, as men might. And this is all really generalised stuff. There are a lot of people that this just does not apply. I talk to many women in the finance space where they are the main breadwinners and it's a completely different conversation. But um, in general, um, we certainly without doubt seem to men seem more comfortable to, talking about money. And and I think this is a traditional thing as well. And these are stereotypes that need to be broken, I believe, in the home and in the school system where you almost have had young boys growing up talking more about business um, with their fathers. Um, and that's very um uh, stereotypical and um, generalising talking there, but less so the, the the young girls saying let's talk about business with their fathers or their mothers kind of things like that. Um, you know, it's been it's been different. I I, um, I saw a great startup the other day talking about encouraging men to do the laundry just as an action, like and, and then had all these men coming on board saying I do the laundry, then I do the laundry this, and it was very very interesting. Um, uh, just flipping the way we think about things and the actions that that shows to our children um, will, will be different, um, I think, going forward. And I think you also have had historically more men starting their own businesses and being hungry to do that, whereas in the past two decades, I think there's been a 50% increase in female startups. So that's quite encouraging for where that, um, where, 
you know, venture capital is going, where women wanting to know more about money and those just conversations are, are headed, I think, um, just by looking at the business space, small businesses in particular. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm going to ask you just in terms of you've got three kids. I just want to talk on the first part. You've got three kids. Um, how how are you going to raise them? I mean, you mentioned you mentioned sort of the you know the kind of the stereotypical how how men talk to probably the boys in the house about about their business etc. Uh, with the females, of course, the mother's going to talk about cooking with her daughter. Uh, but how 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 will you go about it um, as as your kids grow up? Um, how do you get that encouragement of financial literacy to them? Yeah, well, I my husband and I both uh, work from home, and that's even before COVID. We've both had our well, I shouldn't say we always work from home because we felt like we were always flying places before and now we can't. Um, so, but basically we've always been here around them. And so mummy's always worked. So that discussion's always been there that she's always worked. And I'm, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, we had, I had discussions even when it's to do with a Barbie, my, my girls, some of my girls like Barbie, the other one's not that fast. Um, Barbie runs a business, but, you see that in Barbie toys and that today. Like there are different conversations that that we certainly have in the home around what they may aspire to do. Um, I ha- had my daughter tell me she was going to be a fireman and I was like, okay, you can, if you want to. Like it's just, it's not about completely removing gender. There is a lot of um, androgynous kind of talk about do you remove gender. I'm not saying remove gender. I'm just saying you open up the possibilities regardless of gender to your sons and to your daughters. And that's the way um, I would be regardless of if I had all boys, um, but I have all girls. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> that makes sense. Um, tell us about the Women's Index and, um, and, and why is that so important? Yeah, the Women's Index has been a really um, fascinating part of work and it's taken um, a lot on a life of its own. Uh, the Women's Index is a benchmark that tracks the financial progress of women and we do it every quarter. It's sponsored, uh, it, I do it in partnership with Deloitte Access Economics and it's got sponsors such as Deloitte and uh, OneView, which is now Iris, and uh, AMP. Um, so the index itself measures and tracks the financial progress of women and it tracks that towards economic equality. So we look at the time frame: how long is it going to take for us to achieve economic equality, measuring women in work, uh, women in unpaid work, uh, women in leadership positions, the gender pay gap, the superannuation gap, all these things bunched in together. And we're saying, well, how long is it going to take? What do we have to do to get there? So we're constantly keeping track of and looking at the different things people are doing to reach this ultimate utopia spot that we'd like to be at um, to have better futures for future generations, basically, when it comes to equality. So we don't have to have these discussions really about, you know, women don't have this and that. We don't want these discussions. We'd like them not to exist. Um, anyway, so that's what the index does. And it's it's tracking despite what well, I suppose what the June quarter result showed was that for every month that the coronavirus pandemic had been in place, prior to the June quarter, that we had actually lost a year towards that economic equality target. So that had blown out the time frame to 36 years across all of the things that we had measured. And that... So did you say 36 years for us to reach yes, economic... Yes, 36 years uh, on the things that we were looking at. And there's a, there's a lot of different, like the OECD looks at different things like um, 
top leadership positions and all these different things. But um, the measurements that, that we look at, we're, get, we're tracking uh, at least a, a good generation and a half away from economic equality in this country. How, how do, I'm, I'm not that patient. How do we solve this in like five years? How do we do that? <laughs> how do we? Well, we, yeah, we need businesses to um, hopefully sign up to doing more towards supporting uh they're changing their workforce dynamics, changing um, things in support of gender diversity, for um, listening to investors who want to see more more of that within ESG, uh, things like that. Um, socially, culturally in the home, things need to change. I think from a government level, we have a, a cabinet that's 75% male, 25% female. We have a population that's nearly 52% female, so we don't really have the representation there. So it's very clear to me that uh, where key decisions are being made, we need to have more women in those key decision-making places in order to have greater influence, in order to really affect uh, future generations of, of girls and women and boys and families um, towards an equal society. How do we get there is really by taking action um, at an individual level, at a household level and at a business level, and you're an example of that yourself. I'm I'm surprised that you know uh, you mentioned I, I did have an internet cutout just as you were talking there for one moment. But one thing you said was that um, that COVID actually set us back. Um, yeah. I would have actually thought that with you know with more, more remote conversations and you know um, the, the capability, obviously for you know for both parents potentially being at home uh, where where that's possible, where when you know they can sort of share. Uh, looking after the child, etc. For example, and and sort of share some of the responsibilities of the house. I would have thought that it'd be better. What, mm. what were, were there any key reasons that that you know of that that yep. actually caused us to go backwards? So what happened in the at the start? We saw more female job losses than than men. That was the initial impact. Was was heaviest in those female dominated industries: retail, ho- um, hospitality, accommodation services. Uh, Industries where we know that women are more likely to work part-time, casual positions, that flexible kind of work arrangements that really allowed allows women to be the care, primary carer and work. Um, so they were the hardest hit in that regard. And then we had this childcare stimulus come on board, and that seems to have provided something of a recovery in the June-July period. Um, but where we sit now, and I'm just doing the next Women's Index as we speak, is the recovery that we've seen uh, female um, jobs has seen has not been anywhere near as great as what men have seen in, in male employment because men lost a significant number of jobs as well. Um, the recovery hasn't been as great. So we are back uh, to where we were at the end of last year in terms of the number of women in full-time employment. Um, we're back not as far for men in terms of full-time employment. And so the male full-time employment story has undoubtedly been helped by that boost towards stimulus in the construction sector and male-dominated sectors. So there's been um, and there's been a lot written about the pink recession and the lack of um, stimulus towards female-focused industries. And I, I do think that is a, a real missed opportunity and I'm hopeful that something more happens there too to arrest this decline that we, we have seen in female jobs. Uh, I just had the guys take the poll away just as I was about to read it. We were running a poll, uh, which is what 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 um, is important to the financial education for you, um, and that is pretty much split, but uh, focuses on topics, angles that are relevant for me and my demographic came in at 37%. So uh, that's interesting that, that clearly um, part of what you've been doing in terms of targeted advice 
um, to um, and, and and very very clear to what the demographic is is something that people are looking for. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, that's the trend. I think that's where fintech's going increasingly more. And I think um, we uh, any AI that kind of really allows you to have everything in the one place that gets your individual situation, um, that acknowledges any kind of gaps or in inequalities that might exist, that allows you to pull the lever and make the changes, take the actions that can bridge that gap will be a game changer for many people, particularly when we go through this period that we're in right now where it's very, very tough, very, very tough financially for many households, whereas some households are doing better than ever and have never worked harder in their lives. It's a, it's a very um, disjointed situation at the moment for many people. It's, it's definitely been very different for a lot of people that, that I know as well. Um, and ask the question, uh, why is it that you think that so many people, and typically but not always men in brackets, uh, deny that there is a gap in the financial literacy, wage gap, et cetera? Yeah, I think um, part of the denial that there's a gap is uh, some, it's, it's almost nice in a way that some people can view that is that really the case? That can't be the case. Like it's almost like a disbelief that it's real, that we've come so far that it couldn't possibly be real. I've got a sister and I treat her exactly the same. And these things are all fantastic. So there's that element to it. There's also an element in the way that gender pay gaps are calculated. Is it really fair to look at, well, you've got more men in full-time work, less women in full-time work. Women choose to take these careers in lower paid industries um, and men choose to take careers in higher paid industries. Now, is it really that simple or are we underpaying female industries and is that part of the gender pay gap story? I would probably argue, yes, it is a huge part of the, the story. Um, so there are a few reasons why people argue that it doesn't exist. But when you, this is the reason why we look at the women's index and we look at the inequities across so many different areas, there's eight in particular, and inequities exist in in all of them um, mm. and all of them have financial implications. So it's not as simple as saying, well, the gender pay gap doesn't exist. It might not exist in your organisation, but when you look at from a national level and, and you look at um, Wajia does a lot of work on like-for-like like pays, um, it, it does exist. But you can't just look at the gender pay gap in isolation is what I'm saying. You have to look well, what does that mean for the super, superannuation? Um, what does that mean for, uh, what does women in leadership mean? Um, because that affects pay outcomes. The, the, and we mm. know that there's a lot of, um, there are women who try to get positions that, that are unable to get positions and all these different things that, that go on there. And um, it's it's almost ignorant to say that these these issues uh, don't exist because it's kind of saying that we ha we don't have a problem. It's nice to think we don't have a problem, but uh, when you have more women increasingly saying that we would like it to be fair or my husband would like to stay at home and I and my husband recognises I'm slogging my guts out here but I'm just not, I'm not getting that promotion because I'm not him, um, we, we do have a problem and it does still exist in sectors. And it's a matter of calling that out and stamping that out and, and trying to equalise it more for people and for families. Mm. Um, Michelle's got a question which I'm just going to slightly change, but is it is it those stereotypes that we've been talking about 
uh, over the course of this conversation and indeed for years really as a, as a collective. Um, is that something that impacts the confidence of women and is there something we can do to go in and, and you know, improve that confidence? I think so. I think stereotypes does play a role. Um, and I think it, it plays a role uh, from an early age as well. Um, and uh, confidence is something that, that you can increasingly do more on and um, it, it affects many facets of your life from financial decision-making to your unpaid work that you do in the home with your children to the housework that you do to the way that you see and perceive what is fair in your own home and in your own family dynamics. Um, so there are stereotypes that exist there that you can say no to. You can change the way you think. You can set new neural pathways to the way um, you do things because I, I, I'm a big believer in that we have um, for generations and generations, we have these preconceived pathways in our brain that women do this and men do that. And it's difficult to change those and it's difficult to challenge those. But there is a freedom and an opportunity that can come with challenging those and that can make a person feel more liberated and just um, able to take advantage of different situations. And, and I suppose the end goal in all of this is not just having those opportunities. It's being able to retire later in life. Hopefully that's the end game goal and feeling like I don't have to couch surf, feeling like I've actually got adequate savings. I mean, I, I speak to so many women later in life who it's it's really desperate times, particularly right now, um, being knocked out of the mm -hmm. labor force and how they're going to get back in kind of thing. Um, it's, it's the real... It's about financial security, and, and that's where, if you look at any kind of gap, that's where you see the biggest gap um, between men and women. Uh, yeah, although I think that that's something that, that probably across the board is um, is pretty poor in terms of, you know, retirement yeah. and, you know, adequacy planning and mm. et cetera. Um, most people tend to be interested in that uh, yeah. as retirement is is imminent, um, you know, and then they, they, they start planning kind of radically in the last couple of years of, of mm. you know, their work life going, you know, how do we suddenly generate all of this to not mm. have to rely on the pension? It's very interesting. I found it interesting lately, a lot more talk about do we use super to help younger people get into the housing market and things like that. I mean, uh, do we need a super scheme that's like that for property? I mean, it's almost mm. a shame that we're getting that way, but every time we give more stimulus to the property market and to the construction sector, we are just continuing to prop our house prices and we are continuing to make it more difficult. And it's great if you own property. It's fantastic mm. if you're selling, but it's very difficult for future generations. Not everyone's going to have a spare, whatever it's going to take, $750 a million to get in. Mm. Yeah, three three hundred million with all the inflation that's going to be just to buy a two bedroom apartment, right? A couple oh, three hundred million. No, I'm just a big big stuff. Yeah. Um, how how you know you mentioned super, but but isn't it something that you know like wouldn't the better solution for a government forced super be much better education for people through you know throughout school to understand how money works? Like, I don't know, we totally. Didn't like when I was going through school. We didn't learn anything about money. I went through, did a commerce degree. I didn't know anything about. It. I yeah. could become a really good credit analyst, picking which mortgages to pick. Yeah. Um, if I probably attended more, but you know, but there's nothing like there's no conversation about how to do any of these basic things, and we don't trust financial planners. So what do we do? 
we we need a program in schools that's mandatory is my view and it's not mandatory at this point in time and I feel that it's a shame even if it's a workshop that is mandatory particularly heading into university um, or it, it almost needs to happen at uh, just before high school mid high school and at the end of high school something like that um, because you're right I mean I I'm would be thinking I'm a lot older than you and I know that I certainly wasn't taught it. Um, certainly wasn't taught it in the context, finance in the context of why is it relevant to me? Why should I even care? Um, how does mathematics equate to finance? Um, that All that kind of thing. It was missed and I feel it's still missed today even though there are efforts underway to make a difference there. I think until we really make it compulsory and make it, again, relevant to why girls should pay attention to this because what are the repercussions, why boys should pay attention to this, what are the repercussions and, and why boys and girls should support each other and having greater awareness is important too. Um, yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity in the school system and that's where it needs to, to happen. But all these angles that we learnt and, you know, and sine, cos and pan, I mean, that was so useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jonathan makes a comment uh, saying when analysing companies, he looks at things like PEs and market caps, um, but there's nothing measuring female representatives. It'd be great to see some numbers like female index or diversity indicator um, believe that uh, companies promoting equality should get the spotlight, uh, which I totally agree with, um, not because um, it looks good on a piece of paper. I think it just makes good business sense um, to have as much of a diverse work workforce as possible. Um, but uh, is there, can you, you know, enhance it, like raise a bunch of money and take, take your women index and, 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 and expand I'm, that out to I'm working, I'm working on that. I might have to talk to your, your friend. Sorry, I forget your name. We just wrote <laughs> Jonathan, that. Yep. Jonathan, yes. Um, I'm working on something like that at this point in time because I feel like there is a momentum there. There are companies doing things. Are they all doing the right thing? Are we all just trying to do whatever we, we can to, to make a difference? And it's a really good point because these um, companies, fund managers do look at the gender dynamics within um, uh, their mandates. It's increasingly being looked at, but it seems to be, I think it's part of governance or I'm not quite sure where, but it is increasingly part of it. But I think what he's saying is maybe it should stand out on its own. Um, I I, I'm not. I'm not sure, but I maybe it just. If he's saying it's not stamped clearer, then maybe there certainly is a need for it to be, so people are a bit more aware of it. And I think that's a really important um, point. And I'd certainly love to see it. But uh, what, watch this space, and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> hey, look, if you need some help on it, let me know. Uh, it, it'd be interesting. I think that uh, one part of that that you mentioned is is very true. It's really that that you know, it's not just about the the kind of the quantitative approach to it and saying hey look we've got six women six people on the board three of them were women whereas they might be just there on the board for no reason other than the fact that they're female which is obviously the completely wrong approach to doing it as well uh yeah it'd be interesting to see um just yeah but not only just have that index but somehow go to that next level and, and understand you know kind of like i don't know thinking uh, good old good, good old brain fart <laughs> yeah well you don't you don't want you don't want anyone on a company board that's not going to perform for that company board and for investors. You don't. Mm, exactly. Um, so you, you need to to ensure that the talent pool is there on both sides. Um, 
But to help things along, um, the more people talk about having mandates toward, you know, we're targeting gender diversity, the more it encourages more um, that, that, that line management to be nurturing their, their staff in, in development towards management, those profit and loss making decision makings, which then are more likely to lead to CFOs, CEO positions down the track, um, that are the, the key kind of places that you would pick for, for boards and those decision making um, places as well. So, um, yeah, but we do have a, a, a bit of a pipeline shortage um, of women, unfortunately, um, that's been spoken about a bit in the listed space. I would wager that it's certainly um, thriving in the unlisted space. There are an increasing number of women starting companies and dealing with P&L responsibility. Maybe, maybe it's too radical to say this, but maybe we need to think differently about the way um, board members are recruited. Um, the skill sets there as well if companies are serious about um, gender equality um, on their boards and things like that. I think there's there's definitely some good things happening in this space, but maybe we do need to think a little bit differently about the pipeline. Mm. Um, be before you do run off, uh, last question for you. Um, uh, Jill asks, um, how do you feel about women targeting for consumerism consumerism versus men? So there's pressure from the media to look a certain way that you know, you're going to have uh, makeup, you're going to have expensive dresses, you're going to have all this kind of stuff, so you rack up credit card debt, always playing catch-up, which is not the same for men. Uh, you know, for me, for example, a good example, I've got about 10 white T-shirts that I just wear on different days. Um, uh, how uh, is, is that something that there's expectations and social media pressures that, that drive some of the problems that we're seeing? Well, I, I, I think um, the, the statistics that show that 80% of consumer purchases are made by women and my, my husband's in advertising, so I know full well that when he's producing a campaign, by and large, he's targeting women to buy. It's happening all the time um, because they are holding the household purse strings, so to speak. So there is a real um, push-pull thing happening there and it's a matter of, I suppose, um, is that is that really fair or, or are we also, is there an obligation to better educate women uh, at the same time to be saying, you know, it's okay not to spend on that, to be actually keeping it in your back pocket at the same time. Um, so there's, a, there's an education piece there but also this looking good... Um, you know, I, I like wearing lipstick. I like being feminine that way. But at the same time, uh, I, I also, you know, think about, well, would I want that to change? I, I don't know if I could change that much or if that's what um, your, your person's asking me. But um, uh, there certainly is that pressure. On the flip side, we know that men are more likely to buy gadgets, more expensive kind of um activities-based uh, toys kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's it's different. So there's the targeted marketing towards that tends to be more towards men, even if they're using women as props to get to the men. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's no doubt that it happens more targeting women on these smaller purchases, but it's also targets men and it's, um, it's, it's a constant battle but it does affect mm. that racking up of credit card debt that we see among women and there is a definite need for an education piece there that I still think needs to be in schools and those pressures and and keeping up with the Joneses that, that needs to be resisted um, in education as much as possible. 
Yeah. Uh, although, although your husband might not be very happy with that. If, if suddenly everyone's educated, his, his advertising campaigns will have to yeah. change somewhat. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, it's going to be great. Uh, look, well, hopefully uh, by the next time we catch up, hopefully you've uh, you've lobbied all the schools and they've all they've all changed their their opinions about how how they need to educate people. Um, Bianca, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was awesome. Um, I know it's going to be uh, uh, very educational for a lot of the people, especially the ones that are going to listen on this uh, on on Spotify in the coming days. We hope to get you back uh, middle of next year or so uh, and and see how things are changing. Hopefully, we've we've recovered. Uh, with all the COVID kind of blip um, and, and the Women Index is back on track. Yeah, sounds wonderful. I look forward to it. And thank you to everyone for their questions too. Appreciate thank it. you so much. Financy.com.au uh, for anyone that wants to visit. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you for visiting. Bye.